This Dharma Talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org. Good morning. And uh, I want to, of course, start by uh, wishing everyone a very happy new year. This is one of those times in uh, uh, in the temple life that is um, is always very interesting. It's very it's considered a very auspicious time, of course, the turning of the year, and um, and we make quite a big deal of it actually at um, Soto Zen temples across the world. Actually, make a very big deal of New Year's. And lots of uh, preparations happen around the time of New Year's. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. We, um, uh, as Bruce mentioned, we did a lot of drilling <laughs> of holes in our Zendo and, um, you know, rented a blower. And first time I've ever done anything like this with uh, insulation. But, you know, we, we ordered like 20 bales of cellulose insulation and rented a blower and drilled holes through like uh, maybe an inch and a half uh, of wall that included drywall and then some kind of concrete plasterboard and then shiplap that had cement in between. I mean, it was, we went through three hole saws, <laughs> tearing them up just to get these holes in the Zendo so that we could fit the uh, the blower uh, in to try to insulate um, and take care of our space. So hopefully when we are able to return, <laughs> when all of us are able to return to the Zendo, it will feel a little bit more uh, warm in the winter and cool in the summer and a little bit more quiet. And I think I think Bruce has already indicated that he, he notices a difference in the Zendo. So... We spent, you know, a couple days doing this. I'm not saying this is a Soto Zen tradition to insulate your Zendo at that time. However, uh, Soto Zen temples, um, I've had the the uh, the wonderful opportunity to spend New Year's at Rinso Inn a few years ago, many years ago, actually now, like 2004, no, 2005, some, somewhere around then. Uh, I had the opportunity to spend a few days in um, uh, over my winter break from Tassajara to go to um, uh, Eheji in Japan for a few nights and then to spend several days at Rinso Inn, which is Suzuki Roshi's home temple uh, in, um, uh, in sort of south central Japan. And um, the preparations that go go on around New Year's are vast. So many days before the actual turning of the year, there's uh, uh, this intense activity of rice pounding that happens. Days and days and days of making rice mochi, pounding away with this giant, you know, they sometimes they, different temples have different, you know, uh, mortars to to hold the rice but they just i mean some of them i've seen uh at japanese temples uh, not temples us uh, um japanese festivals especially in in california where a lot of japanese people live they have these 
these giant mortars that are, you know, maybe, uh, I don't know, several feet across. And you get these, like, sometimes two people, one on each side with these giant wooden mallets, like, you know, just kind of in unison, like pounding, pounding the rice. And somebody else is like pouring the rice flour in and pouring the water in and there's pounding happening. And it's a it's a great celebratory time. And what do they do with all this rice? And, you know, when they make these little mochis, like, what do they do with all those mochis? <laughs> do they eat them all? <laughs> apparently, apparently, uh, when Suzuki Roshi was still alive, they did this at Tasahara too. Like, he would, you know, they had this big mortar and they would go and, you know, the people, the few people who were around during interim would go out and, and uh, participate in this, uh, this tradition of making mochi. Um, what they do with the mochi is that they um, they end up cutting it up into little cakes from, you know, from pretty big cakes to like literally like two millimeter wide cakes. And all of those cakes, some temples, you know, have 500 cakes or a thousand cakes, but they make these cakes and then they offer them to all the altars. And then they offer them to all the members. And so they like wrap up these, you know, in this, they take this rice paper and they wrap up the cake, this little tiny cake, and then they do a little calligraphy and then they send it off to everybody. So we didn't do that this year, <laughs> nor have I ever actually done that um, as part of a temple that I lived at. Um, but they did do it at Rinso Inn. And so I got to be a part of that, uh, that great activity, you know, maybe 15 years ago. And was, and every new year, um, different Soto Zen temples do participate in certain kinds of rituals, these customs that some of you um, ha have done, have with us. Um, and some of you were at just this last, um, yesterday, not yesterday, the day before yesterday, we had a, an on, pretty much all online New Year's Eve celebration at AZZ where we got to do a little bit of the elements of, you know, turning over the new year together. So beyond the rice pounding and making these cakes and presenting them as offerings to all the different altars and to the Danka, the supporters of the center, um, there's also uh, some, some traditions that we also uphold are uh, temple cleaning. So I think of the uh, installation of the Zendo as being a part of that ritual, that custom of taking care of our space in uh, uh, in this, you know, with this kind of Herculean effort, which uh, I don't know about you, Shu. She was she was part of this, but I was very sore after a couple days of of lifting these bales, and and I wasn't even doing the you know the heavy work of drilling in in the walls. I was just uh, loading the loading the bales and carrying them up and down the stairs and and such. But this temple cleaning um, after you know you can imagine the amount of dust. Uh, from from drilling through drywall, uh, I think Bruce. I asked Bruce to count how many holes, uh, so that we could you know start to think about how we're going to patch them. Um, we had 23 holes in the zendo right now, uh, four inches each of each four inches wide, and so you can imagine the amount of dust that uh, uh, coated. The entire, I think, probably the entire first floor of, of AZC was coated in dust, even though we, you know, we tried to cover things. And um, and so the, the cleaning afterwards took quite a bit of time. And um, the entire time that I was involved in cleaning, um, 
there was definitely this sense of this feels very like a very wholesome appropriate thing to do at the end of the year and i hope each of you in your own way was able to do whatever it was that kind of closes out the year in a intentional and loving wholehearted manner whether it's paying your debts or saying sorry to people who you feel like you may have uh, offended or um, you know just taking care of your space in whatever way that um, that that kind of great activity and energy of sort of setting setting affairs in order before the close of the year and like so that when you wake up on New Year's day there's a feeling of freshness and renewal so like you know there's this whole process of uh, letting go of the old um, you know, relinquishing kind of like our attachments to things from 2020, maybe relinquishing some mental states that we've found ourselves occupying. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'd certainly uh, found many mental states that I was very happy to say, um, even if it were just for a moment to say goodbye, you know, um, at the end of the year and uh, bringing in, uh, bringing forward to the new year, a feeling of um, maybe uh, hopefulness or uh, turning over a new leaf, setting intentions, uh, becoming intentional, becoming aware of what's important and what's not important. Um, and so other other customs that, that we do, um, we ring the bell 108 times. And actually, at Rinso Inn, I was kind of surprised because I thought, you know, yeah, we ring the bell 108 times. This is something I've done for the past, I don't think I've missed a bell ringing in many years, but uh, 108 times for the 108 worldly defilements that we are letting go of, right? So that's what the 108 in this instance refers to, of relinquishing, letting go. And we did this, actually, uh, I will say that Bruce this year, on behalf of the entire Sangha, Bruce took up the mallet and 108 times during <laughs> the last period of Zazen as we were sitting, uh, rang the bell and um, over Zoom as people were sitting. And I think it, it sounded quite nice from, from my end over here, a few blocks away, fireworks were going off in the, in the neighborhood as well. And, and uh, oftentimes when we're sitting in the zendo over new year's as i mean we did it a little bit earlier this year we didn't stay up till midnight um well some of us did but not at the zen center and um there's this sense of like things are really you know getting raucous outside and we're sitting quietly just kind of um maintaining awareness and maintaining our posture and uh, just just being I would say just spending the last moments of the year just being um, so that's also a, a one of the traditions that we we uphold um, and then as I mentioned um, kind of letting go of the old um, we have a burning ritual that happens on New Year's which we did we got to do thanks to Tim who created a fire on that very cold night thankfully it was not raining it stopped had stopped raining at that point um, but one of the things that temples do at the end of the year is they gather um, all the memorial name plaques 
that we've had. So every memorial service that a temple does in the course of the year, the end of the year, all of the memorial names that we've had on the altar commemorating those who have passed, we commit those into the fire in a ritual burning. And the other thing we commit to this ritual burning, if you are, uh, you know, uh, most monasteries take attendance. <laughs> so all the attendance records from the past year, who shows up for Zazen? <laughs> those, all those records also are burned on the final day of the year, which is a nice, you know, again, this feeling of like, okay, we're just gonna, we're not gonna worry about that. Wouldn't it be nice if we could do that with all our bills too? Just like, ah, oh. <laughs> done but but no um some things we actually we we turn to take care of and other things we relinquish and um we also uh we we burn any any of the uh, sutras or chants that we've uh or no longer using um those get committed to the fire as well and we collect all the little little bits of incense and at azc we've also been collecting all the candle stubs you know, when the candle gets down to a certain point, you, you know, you, uh, you let it go, but the candle is an offering. So rather than just throwing it away um, in the trash, it's nice to collect all these things and then ritually offer them to the fire. Right. Again, this, uh, these ways in which we can um, extend our intentionality and our care to our, the things that we use in our, in our worlds, especially things that that are offerings like incense, like uh, rice cakes, like uh, uh, candles, candle stubs. So some of those are, are things we do each year and we got to do again this year. Um, the, uh, the fire was having a little bit of trouble burning this year because of the wood being so wet. But once you throw those candle stubs in there, you know, that's, uh, we had a nice roaring fire for a while. Uh, because of those candle stubs. So they, they greatly support us in our practice as well. Um, and then another another uh, ritual that we did not get to do this year, well, we, I guess we could have, but we, we did not, is the making of uh, noodles and eating noodles um, after the cleaning of the temple. Oftentimes we will make, you know, udon or soba noodles and then sit around after our, you know, our strong effort of cleaning, we sit around and slurp noodles together. Um, these are called uh, toshikoshi noodles or year bridging noodles. And the idea of them is that you, as you're sucking on the tip of the noodle, you're like, you know, you're bridging the, 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 the gap of the, the year ending and then the new year beginning. And then after all of this, there's a celebratory toast. And in Japanese temples, that consists of either sake, you toast sake, and uh, this happens, interestingly, at San Francisco Zen Center, this happens in the morning. <laughs> like, like the next day at six in the morning, you get up and you do a chant and you, you know, ceremonially toast, you drink a little cup of sake. It's the only time when, at San Francisco Zen Center, when alcohol is offered, <laughs> um, except for, you know, back in the 60s when they had strange parties with rum balls and things like that. But now they, they, this is the time of year where there's a toast in the morning of New Year's Day and everyone comes to the temple and sits together. And uh, uh, so sake or uh, alternatively amazaki, which is a, uh, a, a sweet rice drink that uh, you can use to toast. And we often have uh, apple juice 
at AZC or or our actual sake. But uh, we didn't do any of that at, uh, at AZC this time. But we just had people bring, you know, whatever beverage they wanted to bring. And at the end of sitting, we all kind of raised our glasses to our Zoom cameras, our computer cameras, and wished everybody else uh, uh, a wonderful end of 2020 and beginning of 2021. So <laughs> all of that is to say that these customs, um, you know, this is part of our heritage in, in Soto Zen, and we kind of adapt to our own culture and um, and even with even not in Soto Zen, I think there's this practice in the West, in the United States, there's this practice of kind of getting things in order before the end of the year. And um, and then there's this weird thing that happens, um, which I don't think is really happens in the Soto Zen world so much, but uh, as, at least not in the way it's characterized in the in this in the United States, which is the um, the New Year's resolution. So I want to talk a little bit about about the New Year's resolution, as all of you are, uh, I think, keenly aware Zen involves a lot of uh, intentionality. We find intention in our, uh, when we make vows, vow is very important. Um, committing to a path of practice is very important. Committing to our practice of sitting and our practice of uh, studying and following precepts. These are all things that we do where intentionality is a huge part of our practice, right? However, <laughs> there's this thing called setting New Year's resolutions, and I just wanted to talk a little bit today about that practice or that process and how sometimes it's a little, it can be a little strange, right, in terms of how we approach it. Do you all kind of know what I'm talking about? How many of you have had a practice of setting a New Year's resolution in the past? Just any time. <laughs> Some of you are, yes, wow, this crowd is not a New Year's resolution crowd. <laughs> um, but you're familiar with this, at least. Maybe, maybe, maybe the question is why? Why wouldn't you set New Year's resolutions? Is it because they don't work? <laughs> or like, you know, people will say, okay, I want to, you know, exercise more, I want to lose 20 pounds, I want to, you know, pay my bills, you know, and get out of debt or, you know, all kinds of things, right? That uh, New Year's resolutions kind of fall into the basket of um, goal setting. And, and in this particular way, sometimes I think of um, uh, in the effort to improve oneself, right? I need to be better. Than I was, and you know, and maybe that's true, right? There's lots of, there's always things. This is the Suzuki Roshi's, you know, you're perfect just as you are, and <laughs> and you can use a little improvement, right? And so this New Year's resolution, I think, comes from that feeling of, yes, I can do better. Yes, we can always be doing a little bit better, even if it's just you know one percent. We can be more uh, aware. We can uh, be kinder to ourselves and to others, 
right? We can be a little bit more intentional about uh, how we move through our world, right? Rather than being just on autopilot. All of these things are true, right? However, the way that we go about it, the way we approach um, this intention setting is pretty, pretty important uh, that we do it in a way that is not um, undermining in a way. Yeah, I wanted to, uh, uh, let's see, read a little story. This comes from, uh, this comes from Dogen, and it's actually from the year 1241. And it is a New Year discourse from the Ehe Koroku. He says, today is the beginning of a new year, 1241, and also a day with three mornings. I say three mornings because it is the beginning of the year, beginning of the month, and the beginning of the day. Now, of course, today is actually the second, but you're going to have to pretend with me. Here's the story. A monk asked Jingqing Daofu, is there Buddha Dharma at the beginning of the new year or not? Jingqing Jing. Ching King said, there is. The monk asked, what is the Buddha Dharma at the beginning of the new year? Ching King said, New Year's Day begins with a blessing, and the 10,000 things are completely new. The monk said, thank you, teacher, for your answer. Ching King said, this old monk today lost the advantage. A monk asked Ming Zhao Jimen Shiquan, is there Buddha Dharma at the beginning of the new year or not? Ming Zhao said, there is not. The monk said, every year is a good year. Every day is a good day. Why isn't there Buddha Dharma in the beginning of the new year? Ming Zhao said, old man Zhang drinks and old man Li gets drunk. The monk said, Great elder, you are like a dragon's head and snake's tail. Ming Zhao said, this old monk today lost the advantage. The teacher Dogen said, both teachers say the same. This old monk has today has lost the advantage. Hearing such a story, many people say, these are good stories about teachers losing advantage in a dialogue. This mountain monk, Dogen, does not at all agree. Although Qingqing and Ming Zhao speak of one loss, they do not yet see one gain. Suppose somebody were to ask me if there is Buddha Dharma at the beginning of the new year or not. I would say to them, there is. Suppose the monk responded, what is the Buddha Dharma at the beginning of the new year? This mountain monk, Dogen, would say to him, May each and every body, whether saying, staying still or standing up, have 10,000 blessings. Suppose the monk said, in that case, in accordance with this saying, I will practice. This mountain monk would say to him, I, Dogen, today have advantage after advantage. Now, please practice. So in this story, whether you think of there being Buddha Dharma in the new year, at the beginning of the year, or not at the beginning of the new year, it's, it's this is very Zen, right? You say one thing and that's wrong. 
you say the other thing and that's wrong too. So what do we do? What do we do with this? How do we go forward in setting an intention? Is there something special about the new year that, uh, uh, that when we say, oh, this is an auspicious time and all, you know, we should like t set aside this particular moment, you know, to, to set our intentions and to endeavor deeply and, you know, why is that not every day and every moment? What is special about this time versus that time? How do we welcome the new year if we uh, we set up this kind of standard, like somehow the new year is is more special than other times in our practice, right? Shouldn't in Zen shouldn't we live each day as if it were our first fresh most you know most fresh day, or as if it were our last day? What do you think? Shouldn't we live each and every day as if it were New Year's Day? And then furthermore, what is this time? <laughs> what is this this thing where we, we, you know, say, oh, this moment, this moment is this time that we, um, and we kind of, you know, it's very easy to attach to this, this idea of like, okay, now uh, um, this moment somehow gets plucked out of all the other, the, the flow of moments. Right, as being somehow uh, unique or special, right? and in some ways they, it is. Right, this moment—if we consider this moment, this moment is always passing. This moment is always passing, and yet this moment is always right here. It's both always passing. It's always flowing. This is the nature of time. Uh, is flowing. However. you know, in this, in this uh, very unique way, the moment is, each moment is a unique moment. We'll never be able to capture this moment again. So moment after moment, we have this opportunity to uh, relinquish and renew, right? And yet, Dogen uh, wrote another, uh, the, the following year, Dogen had a New Year's discourse, and this is what he says. It's called New Year's Blossoms, 1242. As the heavenly sky is vacant and clear, oneness attains oneness and is undefiled. The earth is covered with nourishing moisture, penetrating a thousand and soaking ten thousand. How is it right at this time? After a pause, he says, News of spring spreads harmony, and the entire world is fragrant. The deity of spring sits immovably in the cloud monk's hall. On each branch, flowers bloom with coral color. The blossoms of the world open, and this is a heavenly realm. So, which one is it? Is it nothing special or is it uniquely special? I had the opportunity yesterday. It was a glorious day here in Austin. I hope people were able to enjoy, enjoy it, especially after so much cold rain. Um, but walking around uh, down Shoal Creek and up through the that neighborhood past on the other side of Shoal Creek from the Zen Center, um, we were walking past some 
uh, I think they're camellias, which are which are blooming right now, and these uh, these really these coral blossoms. Like this is the time when they they burst forth, and I was thinking about that feeling of renewal when encountering Dogen's words. Right? There's this, there's, and yet there's always a time when something is bursting forth. In the, um, I wanted to say a few things. This is this is kind of dangerous territory. When uh, uh, during the um, the New Year's Eve uh, post. Um, post-celebratory toast uh, discussion that we had on uh, on New Year's Eve, we were, it was a little, a little strange, you know, normally we're sitting around the fire together and, um, you know, it's, it's like we're in person. And so it was a little strange to be on Zoom and in our little boxes, um, you know, kind of chatting about the, the turning of the, the of the year. Um, somebody who is uh, has been coming to our online Zendo um, occasionally, who is lives in Dallas, but joined us for this New Year's event that we had. He brought up uh, a quote from the Dogen fascicle Uji, "Being Time," which um, you know I really appreciated his bringing it up because, and he brought it up in the context of our discussing kind of New Year's resolutions and, you know, the so the so-called auspiciousness of this particular time as opposed to other times, right? And he brought up this quote from, from uh, Dogen's Being Time, Uji. So I, um, you know, it's kind of like, oh yeah, I haven't read Uji in a while. It's definitely um, a very, very beautiful fascicle. And if, uh, I don't know if we have, ah, Jose is here. I don't know, Jose, if you've read Uji, think you have. No, you must read Uji. <laughs> Any physicist must read Uji. Um, so I wanted to, to just, uh, to I pulled out a couple of, uh, of quotes from Uji. Uji, by the way, is uh, one of the fascicles that Dogen wrote. He did not, it's not a lecture. He wrote it and it, and worked, apparently worked on it quite a bit. And um, I've read that the intention, his intention was for his students to read it very carefully uh, many times over. And it is, you know, it's dense and challenging and it helps to read it with a commentary. And I know uh, uh, one of our uh, lineage holders in this, uh, in Suzuki Yoshi lineage, um, uh, Shinshu Roberts has a book called Being Time on this fascicle. So I just wanted to, I plucked a few things and I wanted to share them on this, on this uh, day about time. The time being has the quality of flowing. So-called today flows into tomorrow. Today flows into yesterday. Yesterday flows into today. And today flows into today. Tomorrow flows into tomorrow. Because flowing is a quality of time. Moments of past and present do not overlap or line up side by side. Further on, he says, You may suppose that time is only passing away and not understand that time never arrives. Although understanding itself is time, understanding does not depend on its own arrival. 
people only see times coming and going and do not thoroughly understand that the time being abides in each moment. The time being is entirely actualized without being caught up in nets or cages. Deva kings and heavenly beings appearing right and left are the time being of your complete effort right now. Closely examine this flowing. Without your complete effort right now, nothing would be actualized. Nothing would flow. So, interestingly, as we are, uh, whether we're setting intentions, um, whether we are um, endeavoring, using our strong, wholehearted effort towards our practice, towards um, making the world a better place, making our, you know, shining, there's this phrase, shine one corner, to shine one corner. It's like, even if we don't have the power to change the entire universe uh, as we see it, we can take care of our one little corner of it, right? So as we're doing this, how do we do this in such a way that it does not come from a place of trying to fix ourselves? How do we allow ourselves to be as we are, to completely accept ourselves and to make space for uh, knowing that, that we can always shine a little better, shine a little further? How do we balance these things, especially at this time of, of where, um, I don't know about you, but when I have like, I, I like to use, like utilize certain things that are happening in the world to kind of hop on the energy, the flow of energy. So for, you know, for example, like, let's say you're having a guest over, which, you know, maybe it's been nine months since you've had a guest over, but let's say you're having a guest over. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a perfect opportunity to kind of tidy up in ways that maybe you haven't tidied in a long time, unless you've been coming to our morning Soji. <laughs> but it's a, it's a, you know, it's kind of like an opportunity that um, to do a little bit extra, to make a little bit of an extra effort, right? Not out of a sense of like, you must, but out of a sense of maybe even kind of uh, welcoming, welcoming it. So uh, I must say when, when doing the uh, installation, uh, scheduling that during interim, being like, okay, like my, my, my thinking around it before showing up to AZC on Monday morning, my thinking was like, oh, God, why did I do? Oh, I don't want to do this. <laughs> this is going to be a ton of work and blah, 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 you know, and I had all of that and I let that be there. But then when I got there and was working, especially, I must say, being able to work with other people, something that's very dear to my heart, seeing an old friend, um, be getting time, being able to spend time with Shu in that way. I've ne We've never worked, like labored together in that way, like, except uh, maybe a little bit at Tassajara when we went for Sangha week. But there's this feeling of um, once you're there and in it, and I see Sherry nodding and she knows this very well, being the uh, head of our grounds, right? Once you're there and you're in it, there's no 
bitching about what, you know, whether or not I should be doing this on my break or blah, blah, blah. You know, it's just, you're just there if you're lucky and, uh, and you set that intention. You're there and the energy and the effort, all of it is all encapsulated and there's no feeling of time. And of course, time is flowing, time is passing. And at the same time, it's not, you're just completely present. Right. So I got to, I got to experience that. And, uh, um, I had a blast doing, doing it. And, um, uh, it was, uh, it was a perfect way to end the year to, um, you know, to put one's shoulder, you know, what's that expression to put one's shoulder into, uh, some, yeah, something like that. Put some, put your shoulder into it, <laughs> something like that. And, um, yeah, and and then to uh, and to 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 feel the body be exhausted afterwards is another. It's like a nice uh, a nice feeling. Um, also, I just wanted to share. I got a uh, had a conversation with a, a, a old an older friend, um, old in the sense of um, long long time friend and also elderly friend, uh, speaking about. Um, uh, this endeavor to learn more about one's own internalized racism, right? Whether it's looking at structural racism or just any kind of prejudice, but in particular racism, this is how, what he was talking about. He was describing a time when, you know, just growing up in the South and what was kind of, you know, culturally acceptable and now is completely not culturally acceptable. And this feeling that had arisen, he was describing this feeling that arises in him of um, how do you navigate feeling a lot of shame and blame of oneself, right? Is that conducive to actually taking stock and looking and, and kind of being open to like, well, what is this that you know, this internalized prejudice that, that I might find in myself, no matter what my background is, right? I think, uh, and I think I gave a Dharma talk a while over the summer about this, that all of us have this without fail. We are all have internalized prejudice, right? We have all have internalized racism and sexism and elitism. I mean, there's all, it's all there, right? If we don't acknowledge it, without shame, <laughs> without blame, then how are we going to do the work that we all intend to do, right? To, um, to make ourselves and the world um, more compassionate, more aware, more wise, more kind, right? So how do we straddle these things, right? And go forward it, with with a with a feeling of not necessarily hope. It's not hopefulness. We all know what uh, Pema Chodron and Chogyam Trungpa oftentimes talk about hope as like this horrible thing. <laughs> Don't ha get let let go of your hope. You know, be with what is right now. With whether it's you know if when you when you attach to hope, it's like setting a goal. There's a way that that in and of itself can trip you up. And yet, at the same time, we are constantly endeavoring. How do we constantly endeavor um, in our practice? I mean, that's what practice is. Practice is this constant endeavoring. Again, but not because we are bad, not because uh, um, 
there's something that needs to be fixed, right? But actually, in this practice enlightenment that Dogen talks about in Genjo Koan, this is the great activity. This is the present moment, right? To be fully here and um, to flow with the time, with our time, right? In a non, not in an autopilot way, but in a fresh and open and curious and loving uh, devoted way of taking care. So for this new year, I hope that all of you uh, find that balance and, um, and may you find good health and deepening connections and, um, and not linger too long in what I hear is called the disillusionment phase of dealing with, with disasters like this pandemic, right? It's very easy to be exhausted and to feel overwhelmed and to feel like, oh, there's a hope, right? We're in this right now. We can, there's this hope of there's a vaccine on its way, right? So there's, it's very easy to sort of look into the future and, and, and who wouldn't want to get out of this feeling of disillusionment, right? But how do we hold all of it? How do we allow all of it? Because if we put too much of our eggs, too many of our eggs in the basket of hope, uh, as we are already seeing, um, things, you know, things are messy. They are messy and they're going to be messy for uh, quite a bit longer, right? We, uh, uh, in this diagram I was looking at of um, describing sort of like the phases of dealing with disaster, there's this, and it was so interesting, there's this, the, like the disaster hits and then there's this, there can be this heroic phase, it's called this heroic phase, where people come together and, and you know, sing to one another from balconies and, you know, <laughs> and, and, you know, praise our first responders, there's this great energy. And then, you know, it, after a little while, that honeymoon phase, subsides and then it's just like oh i'm so tired i'm exhausted this is so uh is taking so much out of me to have to cling this is the problem with hope right this is exactly why when chogyam Chungpa, and pema chodron talk about like abandon hope like be hopeless <laughs> um it's yeah it's not like it sounds like be hopeless in the sense of like you know uh um, but but rather don't don't put everything on the future like how to come back to now how to be in the now and maybe that's what Dogen when he talks about this um, bring your whole effort Deva kings and heavenly beings appearing right and left are the time being of your complete effort right now so throwing yourself into this moment doesn't require hope, actually. You can do it right now. It doesn't require thinking about something that's going to happen, maybe, in the future. It's right now. So how do we refresh that right now throughout this, uh, these next many, many months of uh, continued uncertainty, continued fear? Right? continued unrest and divisiveness, right? So how do we, uh, you know, find that resource right now? 
So may all of you uh, embark on this 2021 with with hopefulness and not too much hopefulness. <laughs> so uh, I'm gonna go ahead and let's let's end here and um, and then we can open it up for any uh, any discussion. I'd love to hear hear your thoughts and comments. Marco? Hey, Karen? Yes. I, this, this question might just be trivial. I don't know. <laughs> but um, in the second New Year's talk that you mentioned that Dogen gave, I was just surprised he was talking about spring. And I, it just seemed strange. I mean, I think of... Um, <laughs> You know, it, New Year's is the middle of winter. I mean, this the, in the northern climes, not in Texas, but other climes, it's dark and cold. And I think they were in the mountains, uh, mm -hmm. even in Japan. And e there maybe there were camellias, but I am thinking it was winter. So what do you think about why he was talking about spring? Mm. Yeah, I, I, I thought about that too, because the line is, on each branch, flowers bloom with coral color. And, um, you know, oftentimes with these Dharma discourses, you kind of expect that he's talking, that whoever's giving the Dharma discourse is talking about right now and their experience freshly right this moment. So not something that's been planned and, and kind of uh, brought out for that time, but like something that's like instant. Yeah. I wonder about the, um, you know, I do know that in, you know, Japan's climate is fairly temperate. It's not, it's not, although actually, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think. In like, the mountains, I think it was cold. Yeah. <laughs> and over just before New Year's, it was, the snow was like six feet high and just piles no, there are no coral flowers. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. I wonder the thinking of, um, you know, I, in, in part, I wonder about it as, um, you know, winter solstice being when the darkest time of the year. Right. Oh, I had this thought this morning, actually, this thought of, oh, it's getting lighter earlier. How lovely. <laughs> Just a little bit. Right. And uh, and tomorrow it will be it will be lighter even more early. Or not more early, but sorry, is that true? No, no, no. Actually, the first at the beginning, it's it's actually later in the day, and then later it will be earlier in the morning. It's weird. It is weird. <laughs> yeah, this, kind of tur this turning um, is happening, though. It's turning. So, so my my answer, I think, is this idea where he says, you know, the the phrases. Um, here, here, let me read it again. Yeah. As the heavenly sky is vacant and clear which is an interesting thing right then because the next line, well, here, let me just read it. As the heavenly sky is vacant and clear, oneness attains oneness and is undefiled. The earth is covered with nourishing moisture, penetrating a thousand and soaking 10,000. How is it right at this time? After a pause, he says, news of spring. So maybe not spring, news of spring spreads harmony 
and the entire world is fragrant. What's that hopefulness? The deity of spring sits immovably in the cloud monk's hall. On each branch, flowers bloom with coral color. The blossoms of the world open, and this is a heavenly realm. Tim? I just wanted to add, I, th I think that's a lovely question. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's a one way of pointing how um, in Zen we can say one thing is true one day and then something else is true the next. Um, and I'm thinking of Dogen's, I think it's in Genjo Koan, saying something like, don't say that winter um, turns into spring or that, you know, this, um, I forget the exact quote, but he's sort of saying, stay with the moment now and don't think about the, the consequences beyond. But here he seems to be saying the opposite, um, that the soaking of the snow and the moisture of winter turns into these, you know, coral blooms of spring. Um, and I like, you know, Mako sort of pointed out this balance of hopefulness and hopelessness, you know, that um, I think the Dharma Hall discourses, because they're so poetic, lends more towards the hopefulness side sometimes. Um, but this seems like a kind of hope, hopeful um, pointing to this time of year. But it's, it's interesting how we can, even in Dogen, you know, see how... Uh, sometimes this is right and sometimes this is right you know sometimes i raise my eyebrows and sometimes i you know wink or whatever <clears throat> and sometimes i don't raise my eyebrows <laughs> rich rich has posted in the chat because it blossoms in the cold winter the plum blossom is regarded as one of the three friends of winter Yes, along with pine and bamboo. Bamboo blossoming in the winter. I had no idea. Wow. That just that puts the whole bamboo mitigation project even more into perspective. <laughs> we must mitigate. <laughs> this is the time it's blooming. <laughs> thank, thank you for your question and comment, Karen. And Tim. And Rich. Yes, Charo. Oh, thank you, uh, Rich, for mentioning the plum blossoms. I remember uh, they bloomed early at Tassajara. It's the first, one of the first things that bloomed, and it was a harbinger. Um, at least that was one way of looking at it. I just wanted to say thank you, Mako, for your talk. And um, uh, it's putting your shoulder to the wheel, I think, is the expression. And I think it goes back to, you know, like getting a cart unstuck. Yes. Yeah. Um, a cart that's stuck in the mud or a vehicle that needs to get moving, you know, people together pushing, like we push cars that are, that need a, need a jump start. So that seems like a particularly good expression for right yeah. now. <laughs> Thank you. There is this interesting, in the Uji fascicle, there's this one, uh, part where he says and when talking about the flowing of time um, he says Ching Wan is time Wang Bo these are all ancestors Wang Bo is time 
Jiangxi is time. Shuto is time. Because self and other are already time. Practice enlightenment is time. Being splattered with mud and getting wet with water is also time. It's much too, uh, you know, yeah. Pushing the cart out of the mud. Yes, Jose. So you got me thinking uh, earlier, why don't I do any New Year's resolutions? Uh, <laughs> you know, I've tried them before um, and I'm, uh, what's in my head right now is that maybe they're, uh, they're first of all, very self-centered, like, oh, I am going to do this in order for, you know, me to, you know, you know, you know, be, uh, you know, have less weight or, you know, you know, study harder or, you know, to, to do something that uh, improves your image of yourself. Um, uh, at least a, a lot, I, I find a lot of those, uh, a lot of the New Year's resolutions I've come across uh, are that way. Um, and then, uh, and so, uh, and so I wonder, uh, I wonder if the key to New Year's resolutions lie in this sort of balance between, um, you know, being too hopeful, uh, you know, versus setting an intention or just, you know, trying to, uh, you know, uh, try to pr project an image uh, of the future uh, or maybe of yourself uh, that's not so hopeful, uh, you know, scale it back somehow, uh, make it more consistent with who you are uh, already. Um, and uh, I, I don't know, maybe that's uh, the way forward. Yes, yes. I think that that, that uh, um, reminds me also of my friend who sent me this email about, you know, um, coming to terms with his you know, the sort of internalized racism that he finds. And it's like, how do you, how do you come to terms and move, move through that in a way that is, um, you know, taking care so that you're not hurting others, right? This is the number one fu fundamental precept is do no harm, right? If you, if you approach this as this is a problem I need to fix, right? You're going to burn yourself out it's easier to burn oneself out rather than to accept and acknowledge without this kind of fix it mentality that in and of itself has this, um, you know, has an opportunity for uh, kind of like a heroic spirit, right? Yes, I will. Right? Yes, I can do this. And yes, this is exactly, this is my true self. This is actually my true nature is to not be stuck in, you know, he was, he was reflecting that when he really looks at where this kind of, this, these kinds of internalized prejudices come from, they're based in fear, right? Nobody wants to live in fear. So how do we take care of ourselves, you know, very deeply in this way, like part of taking care of ourselves, part of being able to apply, um, you know, self-compassion, right? It's not a, it's not a get off the hook for, you know, you're not really responsible for anything and, you know, that you could, uh, um, it, yeah, it doesn't get you off the hook, right? But actually it gives the energy of, oh, actually my true self, my true nature is one of, you know, we keep, we say this all the time. My true nature is one of wisdom, is one of compassion, right? Because the, uh, the ignorance, fundamentally, ignorance is the ignorance of, our, of being separate. And, and conventionally speaking, we are separate. 
conventionally speaking. We can see that just in the way this pandemic has raged through our country and disproportionately affects certain groups of people versus other groups of people, right? It's like the, uh, you know, the, the description of, uh, from the Lotus Sutra, there's a uh, description of how the rain falls. And as the rain falls, it nourishes all plants equally. This is a, you know, a characterization of the Dharma. And maybe that's true for the Dharma, <laughs> but in terms of, you know, medical care and resources <laughs> and uh, access to good doctors and access to financial profiles that are just going up, you know, those are not equally distributed, right? So both. Thank you, Jose. Any other uh, comments before? Just um, wanted to add one other thought from our friend uh, that joined us for New Year's. Um, so along with sharing this um, Dogen line that time never arrives, he was also making a point that he um, he some he can't get on board with the kind of the meme of you know good riddance 2020 you know welcome 2021 in the sense that. Um, even difficult times have something to, to, to give us and our practice. And if we reject, you know, so wholeheartedly, we kind of miss the gifts that we're being given. Um, and I hate to say this, but there's no guarantee that 2021 is any better than 2020. <laughs> no. um, and in fact, it's quite certain that for some people it will be worse, you know, for some people it will be better. So this kind of not putting your stock in some time in the future was, was, a, was a nice message to receive from him as well on New Year's Eve. Yeah. All right. Well, I would like to uh, say Happy New Year. May you have a good one.